Hi, Grace Long Beach. Uh, grateful to be here to be able to, to share with you what, what God has. Uh, and I'd love to pray uh, before we, we jump into um, what we're going to be talking about this morning. God, I thank you for the ways in which you, you share yourself with us uh, through your word and what you've done and how you are um, in history over time uh, with, with Jesus and, and coming to us in bodily form and, and to, to make your home among us uh, and, and to remain with us in your presence um, through the Spirit. And as you continue to lead and guide us um, through your Spirit, giving us, um, giving us power, giving us a, a, a sense of of, of understanding, of, of, of humility to be able to follow. Uh, God, you are so faithful in, in the way that you, that you share. Uh, and I um, am so grateful for, yeah, for the opportunity to be with my brothers and sisters, um, even in this way. I pray that you would speak to us. I believe that you have, you have something to say and, and, and that that might come from me, that also might come from um, of what's shared in, as, as a continuation of our time um, together in this service. Uh, so however you choose to do that, I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see uh, and be so overwhelmed by your love and your mercy and your grace and your kindness and your compassion to us. Uh, thank you, God, for, um, for your faithful and enduring love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a series um, on hospitality called Making Room, where we are we're exploring this idea of what does it look like to um, create space for the other, uh, for the Spirit of God to form and shape us into people um, where there is space being made in our hearts and our minds for the stranger, for the other. And we've talked over the last few weeks about how hospitality is so deeply connected to the heart of God, that God is a hospitable God. We looked at also how God in Jesus, in history, has shown us what it, what it looks like to be both um, guest and host. And then last week, we, we explored in a, from Ephesians this idea that we were all strangers um, and that we have, because of Jesus, been invited to be part of God's family, to be part of the household of God, which has meant that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And that because we were all strangers, it gives us um, the opportunity to remember that, that we are then called to, to have open arms and open minds, open hearts to the other, to the stranger, to be inviting people into God's household, into community with him and with us in this family that God has made possible in Jesus. And so this morning, as we continue our exploration um, in, in, this, in this theme, in this topic, I want to ask the question and explore the question, um, no promises that I'll answer it, because uh, it seems really complex, but the question is, who is the stranger? Who is the stranger? Now, before I answer that question, or at least attempt to, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because I believe that God has been at work in us, in you, in me, 
in Grace Long Beach. And I know that God has been at work because I've talked with some of you. And as we've been exploring and talking about and praying through this idea of, of being a place of welcome, of being people who create space in our hearts and minds for the stranger and for the other, as we've, as, as we've been exploring that, um, I, I think the Spirit has been shaping and, and, and forming us. Uh, I've heard of stories where, where people are, are simply engaging their neighborhood in a different way. And that simply could mean that while they are walking, they are attentive and aware of others that they may have not been aware of before. And that they are considering uh, people in, in a different way as perhaps the way that God might think and consider them. I also hear of stories where people are, are, are in a way convicted and, and um, moved and, and in some ways feel this tension because they're, they're thinking about this or perhaps you are thinking about this and you think, okay, well, what do, we, what do I do? Um, what, do, what, do what is God asking of me? And it could often be the case where, especially in this weird COVID season, where the immediate perhaps outlets for hospitality seem to be um, very few and far between or not safe at all, there's this sense of, okay, this is great information, but I want it to make a difference in my life. Well, I want to suggest that, that just because you're not able to do something immediately doesn't mean that God isn't at work. God is at work. If you feel convicted, if you feel moved, if you feel encouraged, and perhaps you want to move in these ways, but you aren't yet able to, that's the Spirit of God at work. Do not be discouraged. Be encouraged. Take that into your life with God, into your prayers with God. I've encouraged us and invited all of us to engage certain practices over these next, um, these last three, four weeks and the next four weeks, engaging practices of prayer, asking very specific things about how God might, might help attune our, our lives to the other, but also be people who who are overwhelmed by the incredible hospitality and welcome of God. But I've also encouraged you to be meditating on and thinking about and praying through some specific passages. And those are available. They've been made available on um, social media. There was an email that was sent out. If you are in need of those again, please email me, uh, dlong at gracelb.org. I'm hoping that the people who are listening to this all go to Grace and aren't going to start spamming me. But there you go. That's my email. And if you need, if you need that, um, I would love to, love to give that to you because this idea of, of thinking about and meditating on and praying through scripture suggests that we need the Spirit's work to make us and form us and shape us into hospitable people, into welcoming people. We cannot be left on our own to do that because then it will simply be out of our own resources. And as we've been seeing, and as we will continue to see this morning, this is deeply connected to the activity and work of God through Jesus and in the ongoing work of the Spirit, working in our lives and animating us. So I want you to be encouraged because I trust, I fully trust and believe that God is up to something, that God is at work in your life and in my life and in our life together. So who is the stranger? Well, as we think about the stranger and as we've considered different passages already about the foreigner and the stranger and the other, um, the Bible thinks very, very specifically about who this other, who this stranger is. 
And I want to offer two different categories of how we might think about the stranger. And again, this is complex. And so there are probably more categories. But as we think about the stranger around us and among us, I want us to think about both unknown strangers and known strangers. So those two, two ideas we're going to explore this morning. Unknown strangers and known strangers. Because it's easy to think that we are all in some ways estranged to one another. And that's true. It's easy to think that because that's actually the case. We are in some ways estranged to one another. And partly because of, of this time that we live in and technology, and, and which we'll get into later, has created this sense where we've never been more connected and yet disconnected at the same time. So we are all strangers in one way. But the Bible thinks about strangers, too, in a very specific way. And when it talks about the other, when it talks about the foreigner, when it talks about the stranger and those who are oppressed and those who are poor, it is talking about this idea of the unknown stranger. Now, Christine Pohl, who's, who's a scholar who's done so much work on hospitality, arguably, I think she kind of brought it back up into the consciousness of of um, theology and how to think about this in light of the church. But she says that strangers in the strict sense, and she's thinking of the biblical sense, are those who are disconnected from basic relationships that give persons a secure place in the world. The most vulnerable strangers are detached from family, community, church, and polity. And so when we think about the stranger, the unknown stranger, uh, in, in biblical terms, and what I think is getting, the Bible is getting at, in particular the New Testament is getting at, when it speaks of philozenia, um, hospitality to the stranger or love of the stranger, again, in contrast to xenophobia, um, philo being love and xenos being stranger, uh, it, it's, it's this sense of, it's speaking of these people who have no secure place in the world. All of their, their identity is, and all of the identity markers, all of the things that kind of give them stability have been removed. And that's why she talks about those who are detached from family, community, church, and polity. So in biblical terms, we think about those who have no shelter, those who are wandering, those who have no family. I mean, these are the ones that Jesus was constantly going after, the poor, the destitute, those with diseases and infirmities. These are quite simply those who are overlooked in society, that those who people no longer see, the ones among us that are invisible, the ones we don't consider when we start to to think about spaces or places, the, th the people we don't consider when we are inviting others into a meal, the people that are often considered when policies or different laws are put in place. These are the strangers among us. And these are the people that Jesus is constantly moving toward and going after. And so we come to this passage in Luke 14, which you heard read, um, and, it's this, and it's this amazing passage where Jesus is, is talking about really table fellowship and parties and who to invite. Uh, and, and it's in, in Luke 14, and, and we see at the beginning of Luke 14 that, that Jesus is at the house of a leader of the Pharisees, and he's eating a meal with them on the Sabbath. He heals somebody on the Sabbath, and he begins to ask this question about, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And we see that the, these religious leaders were told that they were watching Jesus closely. And which I think is really fascinating because 
As the story continues, we see that Jesus was watching them closely. Verse 7, when he, Jesus, noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable, we're told. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both, both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. Verse 10, but when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what Jesus is describing here is this scenario in which guests were invited to a, to a, a place, a dinner, a meal to sit at table and they would often choose the place of honor typically a place that was close to the host. Um, usually that was a place of power. But, but Jesus is suggesting, and again, as Jesus does, subverting sort of the cultural values and the status symbols, he says, when you go to a meal, don't sit at the highest place because then you know the host might ask you to go to a, low, a lower place and you will be disgraced in front of others. Instead, take the lowest place so that when then you, have, you are given opportunity for a higher place, then you are, you are going to be seen in a different way. Jesus is subverting these power structures that are at play even around a table at a meal. And then Jesus kind of ups the ante again, as Jesus is apt to do. He says in verse 12, he said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so what Jesus is, is describing here is when you, when you have a luncheon, when you have a dinner, when you have a banquet of some sort, don't invite those close to you like friends, relatives, um, people who are, are rich and your neighbors because they can repay you. Invite the people who can't repay you at all. As if to suggest here that hospitality means that you are welcoming those who will never be able to give you the same in return. And why Jesus is saying this is because often wrapped up in our welcome, wrapped up in our eating, wrapped up in our fellowship, are these certain sort of, of power structures and, and this, this clamoring for, for status is always at play. And so Jesus is wanting to subvert that. He's looking at, these, at this meal, he's looking at what's taking place, and he can see it for what it is, which is not true communion or welcome or fellowship or hospitality, but it's actually a grasping for something else. It's, a, it's an individualistic sense of wanting to get something in return, most notably status, a higher sense of self that people might see them differently, might see their riches, might see their power. And so who are the unknown strangers? Who are the people that Jesus is going after? Often those whose world, whose life, whose situation is completely foreign and unknown to those who might be offering welcome. 
So these, this one, this first category of the unknown stranger as we see in the Bible, that we as Christians, as people of God are called to be welcoming and open to, are those for who, who seem so strange that we could never know or understand their situation in life unless we are open and inviting and welcome. It is these whom Jesus constantly noticed and went to and fed and made feel like they belonged and had something to contribute. Jesus continues in this passage to tell to tell of a parable, a parable where, where somebody is, is throwing a party and then he, he has these invites and he tells his slave to go and remind the people who were invited that the party has begun. And so the slave goes out and we see that, that, these, that these people are too busy, often connected to their riches. Uh, they're either too busy buying land or they're, they're too busy taking care of the things that they own that they forgot and they don't have time to come to this banquet. But so then this owner says to the slave, well, go out and find, find the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Invite them in. And so they come in. But then there's still room. And he says, go out and to do it again and compel them to come. It's as if to suggest that, that Jesus, his, his welcome, his, his desire of welcome and openness, his hospitality, and that the people of God are called to embody is that of welcoming those who may not ever know that they're welcome. And I'm convicted by these passages um, for, for a couple of reasons. First, it suggests that who we eat with, who is at our table, reveals something about what we care about or who we care about. Who we eat with and who is at our table reveals something about what we want and what we desire. And that's convicting. But also, it suggests that, that there are people, there are strangers, there are unknown strangers who will never know that they are welcomed and invited unless we go tell them and welcome them and invite them. And so this idea of hospitality is actually, it's not so passive, it's active. It's looking for those who do not know they are welcomed and invited and saying, come, come to the table, come fellowship with us. Jesus is pushing us toward this, this, this sense of being welcoming, of showing hospitality to those strangers who seem so unknown, those whom we could never know. So who might some of these unknown strangers be to us currently in our context? Certainly, I think it is, it's, it, it, as it is in the New Testament, continues to be the poor it continues to be those who are homeless, who have no sense of family or sense of connection, who have no sense of home. I think it also means like the literal refugee, those who are displaced from their place of belonging and where they are and find themselves here now in need of a home, in need of connection. I could be the undocumented. It can be the incarcerated. It can be those who are elderly, especially those who are elderly, who have no familial connection, like those around the corner in Bixby Towers. Those might be some of the unknown strangers among us. It could perhaps be the mentally disabled. It could be those who are in minority groups. Unknown strangers are all around us. And as God's people who have been brought into the belonging, into the family of God through Jesus Christ, we are called 
to have them at our table, both literally in our homes, sharing meals, but also figuratively here in our community with us as God's people, inviting them in to participate, to contribute, to show them that they too are welcome and valued. And so this is where we need to start. That although we are some way, in some ways all estranged to one another, there really is an impulse in the New Testament, in particular in the person of Jesus, that says we are to be going to those unknown strangers. To those among us we wouldn't know or have any idea about unless we are actively looking and paying attention to and inviting them in, the unknown stranger. Christine Pohl again, she says this, if we don't take seriously the church's responsibility toward the unknown stranger, then we will reject the, the responsibility associated with being hosts and squander opportunities to create hospitable environments and situations. So we need to take this, this unknown strangeness seriously. We need to be, as Jesus was, concerned with and aware of the unknown stranger and how we, in our, in our ways of being, actually create environments where, people, where those unknown strangers would never feel as if they belonged. And we need to remind them that they do. And we need to be moved by the Spirit and following the activity of the Spirit to be welcoming, to create space in our minds and hearts for the unknown strangers. But then there's also this second category of stranger, and it's the known stranger. These aren't so much those unknown strangers that we would have no idea about, or at least their lives seem so different than ours that we, that we can't have a sense of who they are or what they're like. These known strangers, they might look like us. They might be in the same socioeconomic status. They might be um, in, in a similar church. They might be in a similar neighborhood. These, these known strangers are, are these people with whom we're estranged from and yet have some sense of, some connection to. Henry Nouwen puts it this way, although the word stranger suggests someone who belongs to another world than ours and speaks another language and has different customs, it is important to recognize the stranger in our own familiar circle. When we are able to be good hosts for the strangers in our midst, we may find also ways to expand our hospitality to broader horizons. So these are the strangers that are similar to us, perhaps those even close to us. Those we think we know, um, or those we even know, perhaps those in our own home, uh, those in our churches, those we call friends. These are those known strangers. And so I first want to talk about this sense in which there is a, a, a relationship between our welcome and openness to the unknown stranger and the known stranger. That perhaps when we, are, when we follow the activity of the Spirit, moving outward to be welcoming to those who are unknown to us, those strangers who are unknown to us, we begin to see the ways that we are estranged to those who are known to us. And then perhaps the, the, the um, opposite is true. As we begin to be people who follow the activity of the Spirit, to be open and welcoming of those strangers who are known to us, 
then we begin to develop and cultivate perhaps practices, postures, a mindset that would then extend into a broader horizon to those unknown strangers. And so what I'm not, I'm not suggesting that there is, okay, you need to be open here and then be open here as if there is some sort of hoop to jump through or if there's some, some step, hospitality and being hospitable, um, I don't think there are steps to it. I think it's the work of the spirit shaping us and forming us. And then we are then open to those people before us or open to those people whom God is calling us to be open and welcome to. So I want to start here, the known stranger of the family. So you can be in the same house with a person, share say, the same bed with a person, or at least have somebody um, in the room down the hall, and they can be in some ways strangers to you. Though they are known, they can still seem strange. Henry Nouwen talks about how how children are strangers to parents. And if you are a parent, you know that this is true. That sometimes your children seem like they are so other, that they are strange. They do something, they say something, they act a certain way. And you think, I think, where did you come from? And, And why are you doing that? And perhaps it drives me crazy. And yet there is this sense where these children or a a spouse uh, can be a stranger. And so then the question is, what are we doing? How are we being, being shaped and formed to be welcoming to those strangers, even in our home? Are we creating space? Am I, as a person, creating space where those in my family, those close to me, feel like they belong, where they are encountered and engaged on their own terms, where I am not treating them like a possession, wanting them to conform to my version of who they are, but rather where I am engaging them and meeting them for who they are and being open to who they are. This also raises the question of how do I keep myself estranged from those around me? How do I keep myself estranged from those in my own home, in my family? How do I close myself off? How do I self-protect? How do I keep myself a stranger? So as we think about following God into this posture of welcome and openness to the stranger, to these known strangers, we begin to see things about ourselves that perhaps we'd rather not know or take seriously. But then there's another space where we can be known strangers, and that is in our church community. It's easy for us in a church community, in a group like this, especially when we're not able to gather together, where we are estranged to one another. Now, I think of the people of color in our community. We are, as I've said and suggested, we are a a primarily white church. And yet, God has given us a gift of people of color in our community. And how... Do they feel estranged? How are they kept strangers? 
What is their story? Do we know it? Do we ask them to tell it? Do we make space for those who are strangers among us to be able to be known and to feel like they belong and to feel connected? Another way God has blessed us is also with, with a, a whole host of young families. We cannot stop procreating. And so that means that there are all of these, these young families among us, all of these children. And then as a result of even that gift, a shadow side of that can be perhaps that those who aren't married, those who do not have children, those who are perhaps on the older side or even the younger side, thinking of young adults, perhaps college age, they can feel estranged. They can feel like they don't belong. Are we aware of these known strangers, even among us in our church community? What are we doing as God's people to extend welcome and openness to those who are among us and before us? What are we doing to include those who don't fall in that really large category of which I fall in? of the young family with young children? Do I include those who, who are unmarried? Do I include those who are older in my life? Do I think about how I can extend and open my life to those who are younger, who are in a completely different life stage? If God is going to shape and form us into a welcoming community, we need to be aware of even the known strangers around us and aware of the ways in which I and we contribute to that estrangement and not breaking down those walls or not inviting, not including. Some of you I know, because I've heard it, you've described this these last eight months as, as if nothing much has changed. What has changed is not so much your feeling of loneliness or your feeling of not belonging, but rather where you are participating in the service. And I know that for some, it might even be more safe. It might feel like it's easier to engage the service alone because then the feeling of loneliness makes sense. But when you were together, when we were together, there's this, there was still this sense of feeling estranged. And that hurts more because it shouldn't be that way. Not when you're next to other bodies, not when you're next to other people who claim to be your brothers and sisters. And so if we're going to be a place, a people, who extends welcome and hospitality to those around us, we need to be attentive, we need to be compassionate, we need to invite, and we need to get to know, and we need to let ourselves be known. And if you're one of those people who's felt estranged in this community, I'm sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But I trust and I hope that God is doing a work in us to help us be a community that is open, that is, that, is, that is involving, that wants to listen, that wants to get to know you. And we need you. And we need you. We need your story. And we need your presence. And we need your testimony. Because without it, we're missing out on something significant God has to say to us, something significant that God wants to do with us. And so thank you, thank you for being here, even if you felt estranged. And let us together work on being a place that is hospitable and open to one another in very, very specific ways. Another way that, we've, that we're being estranged to one another is in, in this time is politically. 
We are political strangers. And notice that I, start with, I started with the family and the church first, and then I went to politics, because I think that if, if we are going to be a place that is, that is kind of working on the muscle of hospitality and of openness and welcome, then I, I do wonder if politics wouldn't be so polarizing if some of these muscles were already cultivated and developed. But we are strangers to one another politically. We are strangers to one another politically. You who are Republican, you look at the, the progressive or the Democrat with utter shock. How could they ever be that way? Or how could they vote for that person? Those of you who are progressive and, and quote unquote liberal, you think of those who are, who are conservative and you think, how could you ever do that? How could you ever support that man? And then we become polarized continually. And there's never this sense and I'm guilty of this. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking with you because I feel this too. There is this strong sense where we are, we are constantly keeping each other estranged in our lack of being open and of being welcoming to the other person, to the known stranger, even politically, where we cut down all possibility of listening, all possibility of hearing, Partly because we have lost the, the, or we've forgotten the fact that Jesus is Lord and is King. And our first family, our first identity is that of a, of, of a child who has been brought into God's family. That that is first. And everything else is second. But part of why this polarization, why this disconnection continues to take place is because we live in a technological society and we have these devices that work against our hospitality. Now, I don't want to be, I, I can't, it seems so cliche to just continue to knock on, on technology, in particular social media or the smartphone. But if you watch The Social Dilemma, and I'm sure many of you have, and if you haven't, you should, um, th this seems like it's such an important idea that we, as people, are the product who are being used in such a way that we are, are not seeing the possibility that we are continually growing more and more into our own bubble. And we grow more and more into our own bubble. And then we think those outside of that bubble are so strange, are so other. How could they ever be that way? Again, we create these dividing walls of hostility that through Jesus Christ are to be torn down. And so what does it mean to be in a, at a time where we think we are so connected and yet couldn't be more disconnected? We think we are no longer strangers, but we couldn't be more estranged. Well, I think if we follow the example of Christ into a posture of welcome and openness, then we might discover, we might be open to we might, we might discover that Christ himself is there. There's this wonderful moment at the end of, at the, end of um, the Gospel of Luke. After the resurrection, Jesus is walking with two disciples on, on the journey to Emmaus. And, and he's telling the story, or these people are telling the story, and he's asking, um, what happened? What are you discussing, he says in 2417? And then 
in verse 18, one of them whose name was Cleopas answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? What they don't know is that's Jesus. His, his um, identity is, has somehow been shrouded from them. And they say, are you the only stranger? Are you the only visitor who does not know what's going, gone on? And so then they begin to try and fumble through what has taken place. But then Jesus, they not knowing he's Jesus, begins to tell them the story of why the Messiah had to be crucified, beginning from the beginning of the story all the way up to now. And he's telling the story. And then these, these, these two people invite this person who they do not know as Jesus into their home. And then we are told that Jesus breaks bread with them. And then their eyes are opened and they see that it is Jesus and then he disappears. Now what's really beautiful about that is this. Here's the story where, some, where these people are engaging with a stranger. They do not know it is Christ. But they invite this person, Jesus, in as guest. And then he becomes host. And then they see him for who he is. And it's this interplay of hospitality and all these dynamics at play. Perhaps as if to say, when we are engaging, when we are welcoming the stranger, unknown or known, we are welcoming Christ himself. And when we welcome Christ himself, there is the opportunity of the host and the guest and those categories to be dissolved. And we are engaging with one another in a real and a human way. I want to close with this quote from John Swinton, who's a theologian who works with disabled um, individuals and, and has, has really thought about what is theology in, in, in connection with disability um, look like? What, what it, how does our thinking about God actually mean something for those who are mentally disabled? And he says this, each time we encounter one another, we encounter something of God. So in that sense, every meeting is a holy meeting and every body is a holy body. What kind of relationships, what kind of hospitality, what kind of people would we become if we suddenly began to realize that every body is a holy place and attending to God by attending to one another is the essence of any religious community, the essence of a truly human relationship. What Swinton is getting at is, is, is this idea that we see at the end of Luke, where when we are engaging with the stranger, when we take seriously who the stranger is among us, those who are unknown and those who are known, when we see the possibility of people before us as actually having or, or being made in the image of God, we are encountering the presence of God and that every encounter is a holy encounter and every body is a holy body. So may we as people whom God is calling and forming and shaping us um, into being a people who are, whose arms are open, whose welcome is so palpable, who take risks to consider the stranger. May we be people who see, whether they are across your table and in, in your home all the time, whether they are, they are actually unknown strangers that you encounter throughout your life, whether they are people in your job, whether they are, they are people that, that on your neighborhood. May you, may we be people who see others and the encounter with others as an actual opportunity 
to encounter God, the presence of Christ through the Spirit. I mean, imagine, imagine what type of of people we might be. Imagine the type of walls that might be broken down. Imagine the strangers, ourselves included, how they might feel as if they belong and they matter and they're a part of the family and the household of God. Amen.